This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in Deuteronomy. Welcome Welcome to to the club. When last we left you on the Bible Book Club, we did chapters 27 and 28, and Moses began his third and final sermon to choose God. And the choices are clear. Obedience or rebellion, blessings or curses, abundance in the province land, or devastation in exile. Well, I know which ones of those I would choose (laughs) in my head, but sometimes in action, it doesn't go that way. Moses gave them instructions for what they do when they first get into the promised land, and they are to renew the covenant in the valley between two mountains, the mountains of blessings and the mountains of curses. With half of Israel on one side and half on the other, they start that really special ritual where they're speaking back and forth back and forth across the mountain over the valley that's really how they remembered the word because they didn't have books back then it's not like you could carry those tablets around anywhere so they did it was auditory remembering you know what was said. this episode continues in um the sermon to choose god but i really had fun with it uh, it kind of reminded me of Sherlock Holmes when Benedict Cumberbatch, if you ever saw it, he kind of does this thing where he's in something and then it's like this zoom in and his brain scrambles and he starts connecting stuff and then he zooms out and the whole case makes sense. And there were a lot of things in this lesson. We've talked about this comparison of Moses and Paul that were that kind of zooming in and then you zoom out and look at the New Testament and it all makes Makes sense. So I hope you guys can hang with us today. I think it's going to be fun. It was interesting for me. So, chapter 29, we're continuing in this sermon to choose God. And Moses is really zooming in on this second generation because he's about to die and he knows it. And he's going to provide God's terms of the covenant to this new generation. So here are the terms like it's time. Remember last episode, he was saying, you know, when you cross the river, you got to do this back and forth kind of thing and you're going to renew the covenant. And now he's going to give him the terms. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with all the Israelites in Moab, in addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. The covenant presented here at Moab does not replace the covenant at Sinai. This They're the same thing. It is a renewed challenge to be faithful in a new place. The second generation is poised to transition to a totally different life from that nomad life that they've been living to landowner. Now, in Deuteronomy, Moses has been teaching how God's laws given at Sinai, Horeb and Sinai are the same thing, translate to their new life in the promised land. The teaching is complete and it is time for the new generation to accept the terms and commit to the covenant. So Moses calls them all together and as was his way, he reminds them of the past first. Verse two, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw these great trials, these signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes to see or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says during the four Forty years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. 
You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Well, seeing is not believing, and that's what Moses is kind of saying here. You saw all this happen, but it it, it it hasn't really changed what you think. Moses says verbatim what Heather read, to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands. It was a problem for the first generation. They never really understood and they rebelled. And our prophet Moses sees that it still exists in this new generation and will for generations to come. How is it that despite what was right in front of them, the daily provision of manna and quail for 40 years, they did not comprehend the power of God? I mean, it's literally raining food on them and they're still not getting it. In our humanity, we are often blind to the miracles of God and oblivious to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Moses was frustrated about it. Isaiah warns about it, and Jesus explained it. So first, I want Heather to read Isaiah 6, 8. Listen to what he says. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell his people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Okay, so Isaiah says, you know, send me, send me. And then God tells them to say these things to these people. Isaiah is told by God that the people are blind and deaf, that the people will hear, but not understand. They will see, but never perceive. The heart at the time was thought to be the organ where thought took place. We've talked about this before. They didn't know about the brain. They thought they felt it in their heart and then they thought that's where the thinking happened. And the people's hearts could not understand. Isaiah also promised the reverse, that we would see and hear, that one day a king will come and open the eyes and ears of the people so that their heart will understand. Isaiah continues in chapter 32, verse 1. See a king, he's talking about Jesus, will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Then the eyes of those who will see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. So Isaiah, a, a prophet in the Old Testament, is foreseeing that while this problem existed, the Israelites heard but never understood. He foresees a time when they will and this king is going to open their eyes. And then Jesus comes along and reiterated, calling it a blessing in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So Jesus opens their eyes to this and he says, blessed are you because you do see and hear. You see and hear like uh, Isaiah said you would. So, you know, praise be the Lord, we're born in this time period. To see and to hear goes beyond just sight and sound. It transcends the heart and 
and mind, providing spiritual perception, something that the Israelites didn't really have. Israel saw, but did not perceive spiritually. They saw the miracles that God did before Pharaoh, but didn't see what God was doing because God had not given them the eyes to see. Hebrews 10.1 says, The law, which is what they've been given by Moses all this time, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The Israelites could not see past the veil that separated them from God. And so seeing was not believing. It was not until Christ came and the veil was torn that our eyes were opened to what God had planned from the very beginning. And blessed are we because we see and hear. So I have an exercise that people can do that kind of helps them see this. So we're not like the Israelites. We don't have manna raining down and the seas are parting for us. But there are definitely signs that are happening in your life every day. Mm -hmm. And so I had a pastor challenge me to do this once. He told me to go and I spent the entire week just intentionally looking for signs that God existed. And I had to write it all down and then come back the next week and report on all the things that I saw that were signs that God of the existence of God. So I can just challenge you to do this this week. Take a week and just notice it. Write it. Take take a little note in your phone every time you do, and then reflect on it. Reflect back because um, for me it was a really cool experience. A lot of times we're going through our day and we're so busy in this lifestyle that we have that we don't really take the time to notice it. But every single day, I I promise you there are things around you if you're paying attention to it that you will see signs that God exists. And here's where the blessing comes in for us today. Back then, even if they looked, they probably wouldn't see it because they were spiritually blind. For us, we have the Holy Spirit. So pray, you know, show me, Holy Spirit, show me where you're doing these things. And that that's my note in this. Spiritual blindness occurs where there is no light. For there to be sight, there must be light. And the light brings understanding in the darkness. Paul said that we have that light, the light that Moses only saw a shadow of. Now track with me here because we're going to go back to Exodus. First, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. All right, what Heather just read, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What does that mean? Do you remember back in Exodus 33, when Moses asked to know God? Read that for us, Heather. Moses said to God, I want to know you. Now listen to what happened. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. 
All right, remember, the Israelites do not have the Holy Spirit. They're just learning God through the law. Moses wanted to know God. And to Moses, that meant to see God because he said, show me your glory. But God said he couldn't. All Moses could see was the remnant of God's glory, the backside after God had passed by. Why? Well, because to see the face of God would be death, but no more. Because Paul just told us, we can see God's glory in the face of Christ. Paul said, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The glory that even Moses couldn't see in God's face, we can see in the face of Christ. Christ is that gift of light. He is the glory of the Lord that illuminates everything so that we can understand, we can see, and we can hear. Unlike the Israelites, he is our intermediator between us and God. With faith in Christ, we are no longer spiritually blind. We can see clearly the face of God. All right, continuing with the history and the present challenge to accept the terms of the covenant. Moses is talking to that second generation. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 7. When you reached this place, Shihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into the covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your forefathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord your God, but also with those who are not here today. All right. So all are together, the whole nation, and all are to renew the covenant made at Sinai. All of them are to be God's people, and he will be their God. And all Israelites born henceforth will be part of this covenant. They will be his people. Just because they're born into the nation, they're in. Now, there's a bit of a conundrum here with what Heather just read and what was read just a few minutes ago. So all of the people are part of the covenant and are expected to obey. But in verse four, it said that to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. So how are they to obey if they don't really understand? How can God expect the nation of Israel to obey if they can't really see or hear him? God is dropping a hint here. He's making a case for the new covenant in the New Testament. We need a savior and we need the Holy Spirit. You can't just do this by your will. You can't just say, I'm going to obey to the letter of the law. 
because sin has come into the world. We all sin. Now, Jeremiah spoke of the new covenant in the New Testament, the one we haven't gotten to yet, in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. And Paul quotes Jeremiah verbatim in Hebrews. This is a quote. I'm going to read a quote, and then Heather's going to read the quote within the quote. So I'm going to tell you what Paul said in Hebrews 8, verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, the one that Moses is now reading to the new generation, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said through Jeremiah, and Heather will pick that up. And then Paul quotes Jeremiah back in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, starting in verse 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say, to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then what this is what Paul says, he says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So we're zooming in and out here. We read Paul, who then quotes Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had had a prophecy of the future when the old covenant would end and the new covenant would begin. It would be a new covenant that God wrote on their hearts. Um, and then Paul said, this is what Jeremiah was talking about. He, he By calling this a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. So Paul is confirmed that this new covenant that Jeremiah foresaw years ago has come and replaces the old covenant. And I don't know about all of you, but that would be something that for me would make me go, oh, cool. I don't have to study all those boring things in the Old Testament. But really, we know now, since we're studying all of this so um, deeply, that you really can't understand it all if you don't. We're so skipping. We're talking right now about Moses and Deuteronomy telling them that God has not given them a mind to understand Then you jump forward to a prophet, Jeremiah, who foresees a time when they will understand because God will write it on their hearts. And then you have Paul looking back going, yeah, remember when Jeremiah talked about us being being written on our hearts? Well, hello, we're there. New covenant. You got the Holy Spirit and it's now in your heart. It's so crazy. Bible bender. You know how you skip a stone in a in a pond? It it's literally like we're skipping a stone. We're going from Moses, who knows there's a problem, to Jeremiah, who sees the solution, but everybody around him is looking at him like he's crazy because the solution doesn't make sense. To Paul, who then explains what they all said in the past, because he has now the light of Christ and he sees God's plan for the entire world, not just the Jews anymore, but also the Gentiles. Paul's point was that only when God wrote his law in their hearts would Israel be able to obey. Here's another difference we have to understand. The Mosaic Covenant, because it was to the nation, included believing and unbelieving Israelites. And participating in that covenant did not necessarily include internal heart conformity. There were for sure Israelites who really, really did believe, but because they were born into it, there were some that were 
were just kind of like going through the motions of the law. God's law was not written on the heart as an automatic part of participating in that old covenant. It was external in nature. They participated as a citizen of Israel. It was not until the new covenant that every participant in the covenant would have an internal spiritual reality and the gift of the Holy Spirit would mark them with the seal. I hope you stayed with me on that Bible bender. Moving on, here are the results in Deuteronomy if they reject the covenant. Verse 16. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord, our God, to go to worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke a blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way, they will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them, and the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. The Lord will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster, according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Moses just can't help himself. (laughs) He's got to get in the consequences again. He makes it clear that although the covenant is being made with the nation of Israel, their individual conduct is essential. Each person will be held accountable. The reference, they will bring disaster on the watered as well as the dry land means that they will harm not only themselves if they disobey, but also everything or everyone they touch. Continuing on in verse 22. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adam and Zobium, which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshiped other gods and bowed down to them, gods they did not know, gods he had not given them. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now now. So we know Moses is here asking the second generation, renew the covenant, choose God. But of course, if they don't choose God, there's going to be consequences. If Israel rejects the covenant and rebels against God, the world will marvel at their destruction. It will be so great. God compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah and two other cities that are close by called Adma and Zeboim. Yeah, I think I totally botched the Well, I probably did too, but whatever. <laughs> Find a happy medium in there. 
Moses forecasts Israel's future, saying they will be uprooted from the promised land to become aliens in another land. And he's referring to this concept we've talked about before. Remember, closeness to God hinged on proximity to the ark and the ability to offer sacrifices and keep the covenant. And that was something that replaced closeness to God in the garden. You know, the garden, they got to walk and talk with God. And then, you know, they come out of the garden and they come out of Egypt and Mm -hmm. they want to walk and talk with God. And the only way to do that is because their camp, they are impure, is for them, for God to dwell among them in the ark. But if they lose that ark, if they get kicked out of the promised land, they're again, even stepping further away from God. But the ark is still mobile at this point. Correct. Yeah, they haven't gotten to the temple yet. Correct. And it will be for a long time, all through the time of David. I mean, until they build, until Solomon builds the temple, it's going to be mobile. Okay, I have a question. Um, The other, the other town that he mentions, Adama and Zeboim. Mm-hmm. Never heard Did of we them before. Did we already learn about that? No. So no. he just kind of tax on to drags that in, and they probably knew what he was talking about. But exactly. we don't have really a historical reference for that. No, no okay. mention of it before. Sometimes we get little tidbits like that. They knew more than we did. (laughs) So alienation from the land implied another separation from God who dwelt among them in the ark, the promised land. And that's why this would be so devastating for them. Okay, now we're going to have one little verse that's a little odd tacked on the end here. It's the secret and revealed things. Verse 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Okay. In light of what they do know, and Moses here acknowledges that they don't know everything. Some things are secret. They are to live by what they know, which at this point is only the law, the law given to them through Moses. Until the time comes when God will reveal all the mysteries behind his purposes. Until then, it was futile to try to understand God's will. Because as we already discussed in verse four, it said, the Lord has not given them a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Unfortunately, fast forward to the New Testament, the Jewish leaders took the law to the extreme and missed the fulfillment of the prophecy right before their eyes. They did not see Christ. They did not hear his words. And he challenged them about it in John 5:36. Listen. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Christ fulfilled the law and they missed it. So again, there was this tendency for the Israelites. All they had was the law, was to just focus on the law and obey the law. And they took that to the extreme missing the prophecy. So it's like that that rock skipping in the pond hit a wall and they didn't let it skip 
stopped the fulfillment. They stopped it where it was. They they dug in and dug into the law. And, and when Christ came, the Messiah that they had been waiting for for so long, they totally missed it. I don't really feel bad for the Pharisees or the Sadducees. I, I kind of um, think they were doing the wrong thing. And they were certainly called out by Jesus a lot for doing that. However, I kind of see how they got that way, because just like we just read, Moses told them, you have to go by this law. And so they were really just kind of following what they were brought up to follow. Yeah, yeah. I don't fault them. And they were also in this really weird in-between time where all the eyes of the people hadn't been opened yet. Mm -hmm. But even in Leviticus, we had, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Wasn't it Leviticus and love your neighbor as yourself? Or love your neighbor and yourself came from that. And love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul came from Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they missed that. Now, some did. There were some Pharisees and Sadducees. I believe Josephus was one of them who, and certainly Paul had been a Pharisee uh, or from a Pharisaical family who who did, who, whose eyes were opened. But I think it really speaks to the danger of becoming complacent, which is kind of what they, they did. They, they stopped. It was a, a ritual for them instead of actually something that they did with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, which really is why doing that exercise of being mindful about the existence of God in your life can help because it can jolt you out of maybe that complacency if that's where you are. And I think there's a very careful balance between the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. um, And you have to keep that balance. You can't make it all scriptures. You can't make it all, I feel like the Spirit's telling me, but you're not Mm -hmm. checking it against the word. Mm -hmm. There's an imbalance there. And when you have an imbalance, then, then you can hear God's word and know that when the Spirit speaks to you that yes, it's true because it, it, it works. Yes. Chapter 30. We are in chapter 30. Moses's thoughts are going to turn now. Remember, we're going in and out of the future in all kinds of places. It's crazy. But Moses's thoughts now, he's again giving them the challenge to choose God, renew the covenant, but his thoughts all of a sudden are going to turn to the future. And he looks forward to a day when Israel will turn back to the Lord. Because remember, he's foreseen this future where things are really going to go awry. And he had it right too. So now he sees beyond that even. Deuteronomy chapter 30. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. From there, the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you 
most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord, your God, and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. So we don't know exactly what Moses was seeing in the future and which was it the nation of Israel grafted in? Was it the Gentiles? We just don't know. But Moses makes it clear that the hope is indeed sure. He uses the word when you and your children return, implying that they well. The timing depends on their return to their relationship with God. He also makes it clear that there will be another circumcision, one of the heart, the sign of the new covenant, so that they can love him with all their heart and soul. There is another mystery at work here, the mystery of the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God expects the people to return. And yet, the Old Testament speaks of God bringing about the repentance necessary for the return. In Deuteronomy 10.16, God tells them to circumcise their hearts. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, God says He will circumcise their hearts. As Moses said earlier, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. In any case, it will be a beautiful gathering from even the most distant lands. God will find his lost sheep and bring them home. All right, moving on. Choose God and you choose life is Moses's next point. And then he kind of does this. You can do this. Come on. And I just feel like Moses is knows his clock is ticking and he wants them to understand you can do it. He returns to the present and he's looking at this new generation and he wraps up this third sermon by issuing a challenge to the generation standing right in front of his face. Verse 11. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you will have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you will have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So you may obey it. Moses encourages them that God is near because they have the word of God. We discussed this before, but if you missed it in another episode, the apostle Paul is often compared to Moses and referred to as the Moses of the New Testament. And Deuteronomy is often called the gospel according to Moses, just as Romans is called the gospel according to Paul. Well, Paul takes Moses' words that Heather just read from Deuteronomy and uses them in the gospel according to Paul. Listen to Romans 10, verse 5. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down or who will ascend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul takes what Moses said and reiterates it. He says, you don't, the word is close to you. You don't have to ascend to heaven or descend into the deep. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. But then Paul goes further. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the new covenant. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love how Paul does in Romans what Moses did in Deuteronomy. Moses spoke to the people of that generation with what they knew, the law. And Paul elaborates on it to another generation, the New Testament generation, but gives us eternal life through it. It's, but he builds on what Moses had. And that's the beauty of the New Testament building on the Old Testament. Okay, moving on. Moses's final offer of life or death to this new generation that he's talking to. The time will come for Moses to move on and it's coming soon. And the Israelites must choose for themselves because he will be no more. With urgency, Moses sets before them the conclusion to the case that this man, Moses, has been building throughout this entire book of Deuteronomy. There really is only one wise choice here, and they have to make it themselves. Verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you today that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day, I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. If you were with us in episode one of Deuteronomy, you will remember that Deuteronomy 30, 19 is the theme verse for this book. It says this, Heather just read it. This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Moses commands them to choose today life or death, blessings or curses. 
Now Moses says to Israel and to us, now choose life. Love the Lord. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him so you may live, so your children may live, for the Lord is your life. And Paul added in Romans, declare it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you have believed and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.